The following podcast is presented by Ensign Services, Inc., a company engaged in the business of providing contracted for administrative and back office type support services to post-acute healthcare clients. Ensign Services provides accounting, human resources, compliance, legal, risk management, information technology, training, construction support, and other such miscellaneous services to its clients. These contracted for services are available to be utilized at the sole discretion of its clients. References within the podcast to the company and its activities, as well as the use of the terms we, us, its, our, and similar terms used during the discussion are not meant to imply that Ensign Services, Inc. or the Ensign Group, Inc. has any direct operational control, supervision, or direction of the independently operated post-acute healthcare entities. Welcome. Welcome. Good to see you again, even though... You haven't gone anywhere. That's There's been right. no time since That's I've right. seen you. But for everyone else, it's good Diddly to see do, you again. It's a little <laughs> uh, Wayne's World of time. Uh, time, time warp. <laughs> so let's go ahead and pick things back up um, in our in our continuing conversation about good to great. And last we were really speaking about um, confronting the brutal facts. Yeah, how the optimists yeah. die. The the difference between an optimist and a and and uh, versus someone who has an unwavering resolve in the ultimate results while being willing to confront the brutal facts. So let's let's talk about that a little bit. How how then would you really go about creating a culture that confronts the brutal facts instead of trying to overcome them with optimism? Yeah. Um, do you remember being in my trainings when I've asked the question uh, where, I, where I'm just trying to stir up debate and <laughs> yes, controversy where times. I say, as a leader, do you want your people to make mistakes? Yes, I've been in a couple of yeah, those. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's a great and, question. And people have passionate opinions about that and yeah. great debates would come from it. But ultimately, wh- whatever your answer is, mm-hmm. that's not the point of my mm-hmm. question. We came to realize that we have to be good as leaders at creating a safe space where the truth can be heard. Right. Right? Not a place where people are afraid to speak up. So one step in taking a company from good to great is to create a culture where people are heard and ultimately for the truth to be likewise heard. Like where where a CNA can say, hey, I think we're doing a really bad job uh, in this area. And that is, you are grateful. Right. For that. You don't take that as an insult and they don't have to worry about their job being in jeopardy. Um, and, and so the study actually recommends some specific practices to to accomplish this. And you'll be able to see that that uh, I really appreciate the first uh, first thing that they learned in this study. Awesome. So number one, lead with questions, not answers. <laughs> it's right up your alley. Right. I no, mean, it is. Lead, That's awesome. Lead not not with coming in saying this is what we're going to right. do. I, I, I should I should even I can drop back and summarize. I know at one point in the book, he says, really, a level five leader does three things well. Uh, one, gets the right people in the right seats on the bus. Mm-hmm. Two, asks the right questions. And three, creates a culture of debate, creates that safe space for right. debate. So if you're good at those three things, getting the right, having the discipline to say no and, and just getting being obsessed with getting the right team. Asking the right questions and then three, creating a culture and a safe space for debate, you know, it's going to be good. So leading from good to great does not mean coming up with the answers and motivating everyone to follow your messianic vision, right? (laughs) It means having the humility to grasp the fact that you don't yet understand enough to have the answers. So you're asking the right questions that will lead them to the best insights. Yeah. 
I mean, think of my dad's, what my dad used to always say, no one person can get us to the moon. Right. It takes someone there leading, asking questions. What are the pain points? What do we need to fix there? How do we do that? Who do we need to get involved? You know, all these different things. So number one, lead with questions, not answers. Number two, engage in dialogue and debate, not coercion. (laughs) Okay. Okay. This is, this is, this takes patience for a leader. Think of it as a parent, right? Like, like. Uh, can we get in the car? No, mom, I don't want to. No, dad, I don't want to. Get in the car. I'm your dad. Right. Let's do what I say. Instead of, you know, the core, the, the, the debate and the, the, dis- why don't you want to get why in the car? Why don't you want to get in the car? And I'm thinking, I don't have time for that. Right. So, so notice that, just recognize that as a leader, that, that you might try to start doing this, but you're going to lose patience and you can't backtrack. Mm-hmm. You need to you need to maintain and <laughs> push through. He, yeah, he said all good to great companies have a penchant for intense debates, discussions and healthy conflict. Dialogue is not used as a sham process to let people, you know, have their say and then you do what the leader was going to do in the first place, right? right? Right. It is used to engage people. I've told the story many times of of uh uh what's it called, the Bay of Pigs. And um, how, you know, it was kind of a disastrous attempt at a coup in Cuba and and nobody really spoke up in the meeting because the president seemed to want to do it. So (laughs) I guess that's what we're going to do. And 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 after it was a, you know, mess, they interviewed people. Well, I didn't think it was a good idea, but I didn't want to speak up and they didn't feel safe. Right. And so we had this kind of disastrous thing. So number two, engage in dialogue and debate, not coercion not force and, and i'd people. like to point about dialogue is not used as a sham process because people yeah. know don't make it fake. people know when no they're bad in a, ideas. Right. what do you think <clears throat> okay okay now i'm gonna go do what yeah, i want it's pretty do. easy to tell when people are genuine or not with that approach so that's that's yeah. very, very cool okay so number three then conduct autopsies without blame okay uh you, you'll probably hear this phrase a lot we we use this phrase a lot in our organization good to great leaders must take an honest look at decisions that his or her company makes rather than simply assigning blame for the outcomes of those decisions. Right. Right. So, so these autopsies go a long way toward establishing understanding and learning, creating a climate where the truth can be heard, right? Like Mm -hmm. we're not, we're not looking for a scapegoat here. We just want to (laughs) know what what went wrong so that we can fix it. And sometimes we're afraid to divulge those things because you want to get in trouble. The CYA mentality. We all want to protect ourselves and let people figure out that acronym. So, and then the last one, uh, uh, number four, build red flag mechanisms uh, that that turn information into information that cannot be ignored. Uh, I, I love that phrase. That's he he phrase. said leaders are good at, at presenting information in a way that it can't be ignored. Good to great companies have no better access to information than any other company. That's not their secret. They simply give their people and customers ample opportunities to provide unfiltered information and insight that can act as an early warning Hmm. for potentially deeper problems. Hey, warning, warning, there's a red (laughs) light and they can, they feel free to bring those things up. And there's, there's, you know, the consequences are positive consequences for for being able to to raise those alarms. So again, lead with questions, 
engage in dialogue, conduct autopsies without blame, and then build red flag mechanisms. And and those really are are all the ways that, that you can help people become really good at confronting brutal facts. Now, I, I think those are great, tangible steps to help. I always love it when we talk theory and then get into some actual practical yeah. <laughs> practical steps me, that actually help, help me. Uh, you know, I'll give you a quick, quick example. Um, you know, some people will will manipulate data to make it look better. Right. 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 Like, right. well, I, I want to make right. this area look better. Or, I mean, I'll give it's you an not I'll, hard to do. I'll give you an example of that. Uh, you know, a lot of you leaders listening right now. Well, I don't want my turnover to look high, so just, I'm going to keep these PRN employees <laughs> on, and I'm not going to terminate them. Turnover from the as an example. That's so. Funny. Yeah, and, and some of you are. You know, I. You know who you are. <laughs> um, and and so it's it's that's manipulation of data. That means there's not a safe space. Right. That's just that's giving us bad data. That will lead to bad decisions. Right. right. So I've, I've really heard a lot of people in the past talking about the hedgehog concept to yeah. sort of move into a new area. Um, maybe if you could walk us through what what the hedgehog concept means and uh, what it should teach us to do. Yeah. Uh, this one always uh, we have we don't talk about the hedgehog as much no, in this we organization. Don't, we, we really in, don't. In my early days, we did all the time, and I can always picture how my dad. He used to the hedgehog used to always sound like Eeyore when my dad told this story. <laughs> Here we go again, you know, and, and, and it was just <laughs> always great. a memory of mine. But uh, so great. so it comes from a story, a famous story from Isaiah Berlin, uh, in an essay called "The Hedgehog and the Fox," where he divided the world into two groups that are basically natural enemies of each other: okay. a, a hedgehog and a fox. And he said, foxes are clever and cunning. They pursue many ends at the same time, and they see the world and all of its complexity. So they see the hedgehog, right. and they think, okay, I'm going to put a distraction over here, <laughs> and I'm going to sneak over this way. But they, but but foxes are scattered, and they're they're moving on many levels. They're they they never really integrate their thinking into one overall concept or unifying vision. They're they're too complex okay. almost. So that's the fox. The hedgehog, on the other hand, I don't know if you can picture a hedgehog. If not, just just Google Google <laughs> yeah, one and take a look. Google. But but you, it it the hedgehog is really good at simplifying a complex world into a single idea or principle that just guides everything. The hedgehog's simple world is: here comes the fox again. I'm gonna roll into a ball. <laughs> Don't get eaten by the fox, right? <laughs> yep. Anything that does not somehow relate to the hedgehog idea really holds no relevance <laughs> to the hedgehog. That's, that's right? great. So, yeah. so when hedgehogs and foxes are pitted against each other, the hedgehog wins. Why? Because it's simple. It's it's just they, they are obsessed with that one simple principle <laughs> and the fox goes back to the drawing board coming up with this new creative <laughs> plan of attack and the and the hedgehog here we go again. <laughs> you you've, you've got a you've got a good I, I don't I need to get a deeper up, voice yeah, yeah. for here, here we, we go, go again. again. <laughs> oh, that's no Dad, great. That, that's that's probably one of the better explanations I've I've uh, concise explanations of yeah. the hedgehog concept <laughs> I've heard. Thank you. And it was a enjoyable thing. <laughs> so, uh, okay. I, I remember three you can call concentric... Me I can read you that story to bed. If okay. Thank you. No, I, I will time. expect a call tonight. Yeah. Um, so, I remember three concentric circles, or, or at least three circles that overlap, um, that cover three different categories. Uh, what can we be best in the world at? Yeah. What are we deeply passionate about? And finally, what drives our economic engine? And where those three circles meet, um, that's what we consider to be our hedgehog concept, right? Yeah, and that's that's what they discovered, they, that these good to great 
companies could could really identify each of those. Um, you know, let's just start with what we can be best in the world at. Okay. And let's just say for argument's sake, I mean, I, I, I'm not no authority to come up with this answer for us, right? But let's just say we think we can become best in the world at delivery of dignified care. This question isn't asking about our core competence. Um, just because it's our core competence mm-hmm. doesn't mean that that's what we are the best in the world at. Right. Right. That, Which makes it, sense. It yeah. doesn't. So, so it's not a goal or a strategy to be best at something. It's an understanding of what you can be mm. the best at, and almost equally important, what you are not going to be hmm. best in the world at. Okay. Right. So it's it's know your limitations. The hedgehog isn't going to say, "I'm going <laughs> to try and outrun yeah. this fox." Right. right. They don't do that. Right. They know that that's not what they're going to be best in the world at, but. They're really good at rolling up into a round ball <laughs> with little spikes that pop up when that happens so that the fox can't eat it. That's great. And and so knowing that and understanding that. And you have to identify for your your operation, what what can we be best in the world at? Now, that needs to interlap with uh, – is that the right word? Interlap? Inter, I don't know. So uh, – we can have our attorney friend. Uh, <laughs> she'll she'll let, she will definitely let us know. So what what we are deeply passionate about um, for the same argument, I would put in here. I mean, if you're going to ask me, I'm deeply passionate about developing people or customer second. Okay. This would be my argument. But but the point is, good to great companies did not pick a course of action. And then encourage their people to become passionate about that direction. <laughs> Which that, that's a totally different right? approach. Yeah, that like, makes sense. Like, hey, yeah. you're a football player. Right. Love football. Love football. Yeah, exactly. Right? Instead, but they I love decided. <laughs> yeah, that's right. No, you're going to be a football player because that's what we do. Rather, they decided to do only those things that they could get deeply passionate about. Because you can't manufacture passion. Right. Right. Or if you can, it's really hard. You 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 really need to discover what ignites your passion, and and the passions of those around you. What what are we deeply passionate about, right? And it seems like we found a group of people that are becoming obsessed with developing leaders. Yeah. yeah. And if we can become passionate about that, then. And then finally, what drives your economic engine? Now, some organizations focus on top line revenue or growth or whatever. I sort of feel like we focus on a bottom line EBIT PPD or EBIT percentage, you know, something that that includes operational efficiencies and, and sustainability. But try to search for the one denominator, like profit per X. Okay. You know, that's why I say PPD, I think, is a good one that has the single greatest impact. If you could pick one and only one ratio to systematically increase over time to make the greatest impact, what would that ratio be? Hmm. And that's, I, again, my personal opinion, EBIT, earnings before taxes per patient day is sort of our economic driver no, that's a, that, that's, that identifies our success. Yeah, I think that's a great explanation, and, and I, I agree it makes a ton of sense to me. Um, although there is a lot more we would need to unpack there. Um, so, so now I want to get into a question I've heard you talk about a lot. Um, and even even know we've discussed in a past podcast um, mm-hmm. where you talked about uh, Twinkie culture, as you put it, mm-hmm. yes. how sometimes when we discuss culture, we're thinking, you know, fun, kindness, fluffy stuff. He's our culture Good, winner. Right. He's so, ex- ex- he's so just always <laughs> smiling. The book tells us about having a, a culture of discipline, yeah. uh, which almost sounds kind of scary. Um, yeah. Can you talk to us about the culture of discipline then from Good to Great? Yeah. And 
here's where I think you'll really start to find a validation to our model and where you can see where our founders got excited based on on what we follow and and uh, um, what what Jim Collins was was discovering here. Uh, we know that as companies grow, they tend to leave the creativity, energy, and vision that made them successful. And what they leave them for are hierarchies and bureaucracies. And mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. those things tend to kill the entrepreneurial spirit. Right. Right. So, and you know, that's something we've, we're a large organization that is trying desperately to <laughs> stay a correct. small, to have a small organization feel. Correct. We want to be the largest small company in the world. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, I, that, I, I should, I should scratch that. I mean, our largeness has never been the goal, but no matter as we grow, as the need for us grows, we are we are pushing and and flexing so hard to maintain that small company feel. So you think of why these layers and corporate structure naturally happen as you grow. It it helps to compensate for incompetence and lack of discipline, which again, lack of discipline is having the wrong people on the right, bus. Right. Right. We we build bureaucratic rules to manage a small percentage of the wrong people, which in turn drives away the right people. But if you have a culture of discipline, you don't need these bureaucracies. You don't need these hierarchies. Those things only compensate for the wrong hires and not having a culture of discipline. And, and that just like as you lay it out, it makes a ton of sense to me. How, how do you again, we'll go back to some steps. How do you go about actually creating a culture of discipline? Then I'm sure it's a, a bit easier said than done, I'm assuming. Yeah. Um, let me give you number one. Please. Listen to all these podcasts. Okay, good. Oh, I like that. <laughs> I mean, how, Ryan, how many times have we talked a about lot. accountability yeah. discussions and how to have these accountability discussions and 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 to be able to listen to a podcast and listen to podcasts as teams and then come back and say, where are we failing here? Mm-hmm. What do we need to develop? Use these podcasts as a tool. Uh, so so I, I have to put in that caveat and, and uh, you know, there's I, I make no money from it. Just, uh, just so you <laughs> All know, the money goes I, directly to me. Just I do so believe clear. in it. I, I do believe in what we do here. And so I, I'm, I'm grateful for your efforts no, to help I, me in this. I, so. Hey, I'm, I'm here because I'm grateful for, <laughs> for the efforts you put into this. So, thank so you. I, I think, though, in general, I, I always think of what my dad used to say, too. And sorry, I'm quoting my dad a lot. Uh, we have a Statue of Liberty on the East Coast. Mm-hmm. We should build a Statue of Accountability on the West Coast. Hmm. You, you you need to build a culture around the idea of freedom and responsibility within a framework. Mm-hmm. Let me say this very clearly <laughs> for everyone listening. We are not an autonomous organization. We are an interdependent organization. Good to great companies built a consistent system with clear constraints, but they also gave people freedom and responsibility within the framework of that system. That's It's really important that you understand what yeah. I just said. Yes, we have that freedom. Yes, one of the things we love about being affiliated with the Ensign organization is that, that we get to decide what we pay our people and do things for our culture and... But those things need to happen within the framework of a cluster model right. of reaching right. out to people, of accountability discussions, of, of accountability discussions with resources and service center. So they hired self-disciplined people who didn't need to be managed. Hmm. And then they managed the system 
not the people. <laughs> right. That makes that's that makes it this, kind of this sense. sounds a little bit complex, but if right. you can think that if you can really translate that right. in your mind, there's a key difference there. They have disciplined thought to confront brutal facts while maintaining faith and greatness, and they took disciplined action. But again, it all starts with the first two. If you are not obsessed with first two, all this other stuff is just, you know, you can cut off the podcast then. If you're if you're not obsessed, first fill time. your team with disciplined people who are good and willing to go to extreme lengths to succeed. I, you know, I, I talk about it's hard to motivate people. My, the famous story I tell and uh, that comes from good to great. Lou Holtz, former uh, um, Notre Dame football coach, was asked, I think How Beverly are you so good? Beverly yeah, doesn't no, care about this story, Beverly, so she's uh, probably going to yeah. tune out right now. Exactly. Uh, he was asked the question, how are you so good at motivating your people? And he kind of scoffed at the question, motivating my, my people. He said, I recruit motivated players and I train them in a way not to demotivate them. But <laughs> he, goes, he goes and finds the motivation. People in good to great companies tend to be almost fanatical in this pursuit of greatness, continually seeking improvement. See, every organization wants to be the best, right? Everyone wants yeah, we want to be the best at. That's what their mission statement says. But they lack the discipline in what I just, you know, stated to figure out how. We're too lazy in our hiring, in identifying our hedgehog, in we're just, we're too late. We're not disciplined enough. Hmm. That culture of discipline is is going to get us there. Now, I, I know I'm talking a lot right now, and, and and after this, we'll probably cut off this segment of the podcast. But But let me add a couple of cautions here. Okay. Don't confuse a culture of discipline with a dictator. Okay, so we just said you need to have a culture of discipline. <laughs> right, That's right. right. I've got to get in and command and control. When companies were not able to sustain this model, they turned to dictators. Mm. When It's sort of like uh, Stephen Covey in the, in the Green and Clean video when, when he tries to lead his son through this ensign model of leadership <laughs> right. and his son did nothing. Right. So what does he want to do? Dictate. You get out yeah. there. You get over here. He wants to start dictating. And, and that's, we turn to sheer force like you do as a parent. When you try and be an ensign parent and you lose your patience, mm -hmm. you turn to dictator parent, right? Yep. Uh, I've seen this in some of our operations that have really good results. We have operations that have really good results, but they do seem to have a dictator. And when that dictator leaves, things fall apart. Things are going to fall apart, yeah. Yeah. Because the, the answer giver <laughs> is, is gone. gone. Right. Right? Good to great companies had level five leaders who built an enduring culture of discipline powered by self-disciplined people who acted in the company's best interest without strict orders from leadership. Do you want to know if you're a disciplined leader? So, so if you're a DON or an ED or mm -hmm. a DOR or somebody listening to this and you're somebody that is constantly getting calls at home or when you're away on vacation, or that means you're the answer person. <laughs> that means your people don't feel free to try and solve problems on their gotcha. own. Yeah. And, and that's a symptom of uh, being a little bit of a dictator and, and needing to figure out how to, how to have a culture of discipline within the framework of freedom, right? Uh, good to great companies had level five leaders who built an enduring culture of discipline powered by self-disciplined people, right? We, we, that's, that's what it said. I repeat that. That's why they thrived even after their leaders had departed the organization. Those companies that, that practice discipline uh, only by tyrannical rule could not sustain themselves once their leaders departed. 
That's that's what they discovered. So so caution number one: don't confuse uh, a culture of discipline with a dictator. And then last caution I add before before we conclude this segment: don't don't get distracted. Um, the good to great companies followed a simple mantra, and and it was this: anything that doesn't fit with our hedgehog concept. We're not going to waste time on. We won't do. <laughs> it's got to be so tough to stay that disciplined yeah, and focused. Yeah, because the, the the competitive landscape is going to shift, and people right. are doing this. And are we going to get in late? And if this course of action does not fit into our disciplined approach, do not perform that action. It takes discipline to say no to those opportunities. It's the fox. Okay, I'm going to go over here. I'm going to come over here. I'm going to do this. <laughs> right. Versus the hedgehog. Here yeah, he goes gonna again. Roll into a ball. I'm going to roll into a ball. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's great. Thank you for for really uh, diving into the again some 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 actual lessons that we can use to help create a culture of discipline and some some things to be wary of when doing so. Um, and again, like you were saying, I think this is a good spot to, to stop the second segment of our Good to Great podcast, and we will pick things up with uh, part three soon. All right, let's do it. Thank you. Thank you.